Hello, and welcome to the Herb Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest. We're something of a rarity in Middle East analysis. We have no sponsors, and we carry our podcasts without advertising. If you'd like to support a truly independent voice, consider making a small donation. Details at ArabDigest.org. When you go to the website, check out how you can receive the daily newsletter for two months for free. Yep, that's right, two months for free. My guest today, and a podcast regular, I'm happy to say, is Caroline Rose. Caroline is the director of the Strategic Blind Spots Portfolio at Washington-based New Lines Institute, where she leads the project on the Capricorn trade. She has featured on numerous media outlets, including the BBC, Washington Post, Al Jazeera, and CNN, and right here on the Arab Digest podcast. We're going to be talking today about Captagon, that drug of choice in the Levant, the Gulf, and beyond. Captagon is built on a drug empire that is run out of Syria by President Assad and his family. Caroline, welcome back to the podcast. Always great to have you on. Thank you so much, Bill, for having me on. Let me begin by asking you your thoughts on seeing Bashar al-Assad welcome back to the Arab League last week. I mean, there he was in Jeddah, the head of a narco family that produces and moves Capticon into many of the same countries that so effusively welcomed him back. What did you think when you saw, for example, Mohammed bin Salman embrace Assad, given that Saudi Arabia has been flooded by Captagon from Syria? Bill, I was I was somewhat surprised uh, in just how fast normalization discussions went and how fast Captagon became one of the top agenda items for normalization discussions with the Syrian regime. I knew for a while, and it was very clear to analysts, that normalization with Syria was in some ways inevitable uh, for, for certain countries. Uh, but it, I think that when it when it comes to just how fast we saw normalization take place uh, between Saudi Arabia and and Syria, I think that it's it's quite alarming and, and quite surprising, especially since Captagon has been seen as a point of collaboration rather than rationale to uh, stave normalization or rapprochement. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, that that you say that Captagon w- was there. It was it was part of the. Um, discussion, the conversation, and yet, are the Syrians actually serious about taking on board the Capticon issue, or do you think that there's a bit of a game going on here? I think the latter. A game is absolutely going on, partly because the regime, they have complete agency over how they report Capticon seizures, arrests, data, Uh, They continue to deny that production is even happening inside of Syria, while, of course, it's very clear that in discussions, they are acknowledging this control and uh, leverage and influence over the trade. So it's it's incredibly clear that they're trying to game this the best they can, wield economic and financial concessions from their regional counterparts in normalization discussions, and try and salvage the trade uh, and their role in the trade and it's very clear to me that it's 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 possible that we will have a deal and we will have this understanding between uh, the GCC and Syria that Syria would reduce its role in Capticon trafficking. But really, the same players and the same, you know, big fish will be engaged in Capticon production and trafficking. 
Yeah, we should just remind listeners that the Assad family, I mean, there's a fourth armored brigade, that's his brother runs that, and there are other members of the family, they're all very much engaged in the production and distribution of, of Catacon. Absolutely. And in very large ways as well, I, I would say that they're some of the largest industrial sized producers and traffickers. And, you know, this is, is very clear from evidence in regime held areas. Again, for our listeners, how much uh, is this Captagon trade worth to the Assad family? With recent estimates, it's uh, put the trade up to around $10 billion. Uh, that was as recently as fall 2022. And that is accounting for both seized and unseized shipments. This was a number that was put out by AFP. And, uh, you know, they also released the formula that they used, uh, accounting for kind of a weighted average of seizures across the region and the variance of, of the pill prices. There's a very large spectrum where Captagon can go for just a few cents to up to some what is estimated $25 per pill in the Gulf. So, you know, it's it's $10 billion dollars. It's very unclear as to how much the Syrian regime is reaping from that trade. However, uh, we, we know that they, the regime held areas, it is the hub for large scale Captagon production. So we estimate that the regime is reaping quite a large proportion of that $10 billion or more. Some of that money would be going into, I suppose, the, the, the war effort, but others would be going, what, directly into the pockets of the Assad family? Absolutely. Into the pockets of the Assad family, uh, also as a way to continue the activities of militias, for example, affiliated with the 4th Armored Division. You know, it's a recruitment tool as well. It keeps soldiers, uh, you know, up and it allows them to stave meals. Captagon is very much, I would say, a, a key backbone of uh, not only the revenue, alternative revenue streams, but also something that is keeping many of these families and individuals getting through the day. And, uh, you know, I think because of that, it's really tricky when we're looking at these normalization discussions and trying to envision whether the regime will stop or partially stop this trade. And it's very clear that this is something that they rely on heavily and it's also a way for the regime to keep some of its key allies and stakeholders happy, uh, you know, well-funded and, and having that alternative revenue source. So it's really difficult to envision the regime letting up on Captagon production and trafficking anytime soon. Yeah, there's so many edges and angles to this. I mean, one of them, of course, you mentioned is that it, uh, it suppresses hunger. So when you've got food insecurity, that's a factor. And then, of course, the other players, Hezbollah, uh, Iran militias engaged, as you've uh, discovered, in the Capricorn trade. And, and they've got their their skin in the game. Uh, but, but you know, the last time we talked to you about Capricorn was just about a year ago. And I know you've drilled down a lot since then. Uh, I, I want to ask you what you see the pictures now. And let, let's begin really with the seizures, because there's been lots of... Uh, big news in the Saudi media and, and other Gulf media about major seizures of Captagon. What's the picture there? Well, certainly, I, I think that we've started to see in the last three years immensely impressive 
uh, sizes in, in, in the seizures that are conducted in the Gulf. Pills sometimes averaging in the millions um, and sometimes every week or every month. This definitely does indicate a level of complicity and corruption within local law enforcement systems in the region, especially with the fact that Syrian and Lebanese traffickers, uh, there's that risk calculation when they decide where, what port, how to get a seizure, to get a shipment where um, where they intend to and where the destination market is. And part of that risk calculation is, are there any inside officials that can help facilitate these, these shipments, can help receive it? Are there networks we can work with? And the volume of Captagon directed into the Gulf indicates that, yes, there is complicity and there is, you know, inside networks operating inside of many of these destination markets, such as Saudi Arabia, the UAE, etc. And, you know, I, th- I think that's another element of, of normalization discussions as well. You know, you have the supply side, but you also have the consumption side, and we don't have a very good picture of that. Uh, so to me, it, it seems that a lot of these countries are just trying to wage, wave a magic wand and try and convince the regime to reduce these flows in any way they can. But you also still have thriving demand. And if there are no policies introduced that try and lower levels of demand for Captagon, these traffickers or other actors are going to try and engage in Captagon production and trafficking and still deliver Captagon shipments to these destination markets. Mm, yeah, of course, that, that that market factor. I want to get into that a little more with you. But but the other thing you've discovered is that if you, you can sort of block one uh, entry point, another one pops up. I mean, this is the case now. For example, Iraq, I think you and your most recent uh, article made that point. Absolutely. Iraq and Turkey. Uh, it, it, it's very clear that smugglers are learning lessons from some of the policies introduced and also the attention that has been put on the captive on trade recently. And as a way to, you know, uh, dodge interdiction risk, but then also dodge public attention and a lot of spotlight on their activities. They're trying to carve out new routes, find new networks and find new partners in this trade that will help facilitate Captagon shipments um, in a less public way. And, uh, you know, they're, they're finding, for example, the Al-Qaim Highway along the Syrian-Iraqi border. Uh, they're also uh, exploiting cross-border nodes along the Syrian-Turkish border, all overland routes. So it's much, you have to have smaller shipments, you have to be much more nimble, and you have to have a very active uh, network with a lot of protection. And we're starting to see this seep into Iraq, seep into Turkey. And Turkey, it's been quite interesting because many of the shipments have been stated to have European countries as dis- as their destination. With Iraq, it's very clear that these shipments are indeed intended for the most part for uh, GCC destination markets. But some is indeed trickling down into local consumption markets inside of Iraq. Uh, so it's very concerning. And once the trade starts to trickle out in many different directions, it's very difficult to control it. And as you say, the the volume of the trade, it, it couldn't go on without a certain degree of, of corruption among border guards and, and various other units in the police and, and security in, in, in the countries that it's getting into. 
Absolutely. And, you know, this this also goes uh, pretty high up. For example, Saudi Arabia in 2015, I believe, there was a, a, a seizure and uh, of Captagon at the Rafiq Harari Airport in Beirut, uh, and they found a Saudi prince was uh, smuggling Captagon. And then just recently, uh, there was a, another uh, incident at the Rafiq Harari Airport in Beirut, where they found, uh, and, and they didn't state exactly who, but they said that a Saudi security official was uh, implicated in trying to smuggle a smaller shipment of Captagon, but notable that it was Captagon. You're listening to the Arab Digest podcast with me, William Law, and Caroline Rose from the New Lines Institute in Washington, D.C. Our podcasts have no sponsors and no advertising. If you're enjoying the podcasts and would like to support a truly independent voice on the Middle East and North Africa, please consider making a small donation. Details at ArabDigest.org. Caroline, you did a presentation at the Chanamos earlier this week, uh, together with Karam Shah and Ibrahim Otabi, uh, on, on the scope of the uh, Captagon trade and the challenges ahead. And at one point, you spoke about Jordan and how the situation on the Jordan-Syria border has become quite tense. Fill us in a little bit on on the story there. So, uh, you know, really since September 2021, the Captagon trade has become a major concern for the Jordanian government. Uh, When after they opened the border crossing with Syria, there was a huge surge in violent captagon related clashes, smuggling operations that had smugglers that were ready to use use of force uh, against local border guards and the Jordanian armed forces. And this has caused a number of violent, sometimes fatal outbreaks uh, and violence between uh, different sides. For example, with one incident in January 2022, killing a Jordanian captain, a Jordanian officer. Uh, That set off alarm bells and and caused them to change their rules of engagement, to loosen uh, some of the rules. And it really has changed the game in terms of how uh, Jordan has looked at its border security with Syria. At first, Jordan pumped the brakes on normalization try dialogue with a number of actors uh, operating inside of Syria, tried, of course, to explore avenues for increased assistance and ways that they could immediately halt this. But now it's very clear that with the tide of normalization, the Jordanian government is experimenting with the regime to see if they can establish working groups, channels of dialogue, to try and collaborate with the regime over border security and have them halt uh, trafficking flows into into Jordan. And most recently, they established a working group with uh, also with Iraq and Syria uh, that would investigate the sources of Captagon trafficking and smuggling inside of Syria, which is very ironic, given that the regime is behind um, uh, the bulk of the trade. Uh, so it's it's very interesting. And I think that right now Jordan is trying to balance out and identify new pathways, especially with uh, things that have not worked for them before. But I think there is a dead end to collaboration with the Syrian regime on the Captagon trade, and that by creating some of these collaborative formats, 
you risk the regime using this information for their own good, which is, of course, perpetuating and, and um, continuing the Capricorn trade. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, that uh, basically it's a it's a bit of a charade and and whatever information comes up could in fact in, assist the Assad family in, in their in their projects of getting Capricorn to to market. Um, another point you made at, at Chatham House, which which caught me, was this. We don't know what is in Capticon, and we don't know the health damage it is doing. So why don't we know what is in Capticon? What sort of health issues are we talking about, and, and what needs to happen, Caroline? That is a great question, Bill. I, I would say that the big question mark about Capticon is what is inside of, of this pill. Given the lack of laboratory analysis and consistent laboratory analysis, along with public findings about the chemical components of Captagon, it's really difficult to ascertain exactly what producers are putting inside of these pills and also how these pills are differing when you look at the trade overall and how it's evolved since, uh, you know, even the 2010s. Uh, Captagon used to be a licit pharmaceutical product back in the 1960s to 1980s prescribed by doctors and the original formula was called phenethylene. Some laboratory analysis, and again, there's not a lot of it, but um, some of the public information out there on, on laboratory uh, analysis of Captagon's chemical composition shows that Captagon since the early 2000s has not resembled phenethylene in any way. And instead um, is essentially a combination of either amphetamine no amphetamine, a number of cutting agents that have the potential to have some long-term health concerns. For example, there's caffeine, quinine, copper, zinc, um, procaine, a number of other um, uh, additives that some producers put in. And uh, sometimes and there can be a lot of amphetamine. They, they, it's a, one uh, laboratory analysis said up to 47% amphetamine that was metabolized inside of a pill. So it's it's quite the range is quite impressive and it's caused me and a number of other analysts to really ask what is Captagon and with so many different variants of Captagon you can really make it into whatever you want there really is no um, definition of of Captagon I mean it's an amphetamine type stimulant but there's no formulaic continuity in what we're seeing in the few laboratory analyses put out there and because of that, you know, it's creating this need for greater laboratory analysis of pills with laboratory analysis that also allows you to track uh, who is producing this, where it's produced and identify the patterns of, uh, you know, the health concerns and also the patterns of production materials. So, you know, it's very important that we really look into what is being put into these pills how are producers uh, changing, you know, the the chemical composition, and what kind of health concerns should we have with Captagon production inside of Syria and inside of Lebanon? Mm. Yeah, that health issue is really important, isn't it? Because uh, as we were talking about earlier, it it suppresses the appetite, but it can lead to other health issues. I I, I presume uh, mental health issues potentially. Certainly, certainly, you know, Captagon has been used as uh, a stone that hits many birds in, in many ways, in the sense of Captagon staves hunger. It allows you to stay up later at night. 
for students that are studying for university. It allows you to feel more productive uh, for those experiencing trauma or depression or, you know, they, they need a boost. Captagon offers this euphoric rush that's associated with its amphetamine type qualities. Uh, and so it's used for a variety of different activities. Uh, there are many, many users that have reported using Captagon daily. And of course, you know, when you start with one pill, then you have to increase your dosage. So it's a it's a big long term um, you know, concern for local public health in the Middle East, particularly with increasing usage and with also the the, cha- the evolution of these pills. Mm. Uh, so going back to that Chanamos presentation, Kedem Shara made a point that may raise a few eyebrows, and that is uh, what he called low-level engagement with the Assad regime, that it's going to have to happen. People are going to say, this is a guy who's responsible for the death of more than a half a million of his own citizens, at least 10 million refugees, either internally displaced or else mostly in Turkey. Lebanon and Jordan, why are we legitimizing his regime by talking to him? Certainly. Well, I, I don't want to put words in, in Karam's mouth, but I think what when he said low-level engagement, it was not. It was still averting normalization. Uh, I, I think that what by what he meant was having these communication channels open in the sense of gauging where the regime is on Captagon, who they're willing to give up in terms of information and, and intelligence, but then also still averting any formal collaboration and direct coordination with the regime on lab busts, on seizures, on identifying networks, because they can't be trusted, you know, in terms of normalization and using Captagon as this big top agenda item for normalization. It's just, you know, not only is it not appropriate, but it really won't be productive. And the regime still cannot be trusted when it comes to collaborating genuinely over the Captagon trades reduction in the region. And so, yeah, I think that that's, you know, that's definitely the case that's been made. And and then, of course, as you mentioned, with all of these human rights violations, you know, uh, and, and atrocities that have been committed by the regime, um, that is enough of a reason to stave, uh, you know, formal participation and formal normalization and rapprochement uh, to begin with. So, you know, Captagon alone certainly is rationale. But once you factor all of those elements in as well, that just even makes a greater case for staving normalization and rapprochement. Mm, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a fine line to walk. But uh, yeah, I agree with you that some engagement needs to happen. Let me go back to the markets uh, point. As long as there are markets, as long as you have people hooked on Captagon, the trade is going to flourish, whether it's run by the Assad family or somebody else. How do you deal with that reality? I think that what we also need to have is a a greater conversation about Captagon regionally and globally. Because right now, there's so much focus, and rightfully so, on the production hub, which is uh, primarily Syria, a bit in Lebanon. But there is not enough of a conversation about how Captagon is evolving and growing uh, extra-regionally, particularly as we're starting to see some evidence of uh, ports in uh, the Sahel and North Africa that are being used to reroute Captagon or potentially smugglers are using to carve out new Captagon consumption markets. We're also starting to see some evidence of Captagon 
uh, moving overland into Southern Europe, into the Balkans. That's definitely notable. So we need to have a larger conversation about interdiction, demand, where the demand, emerging demand markets are are, are, are coming. Uh, and then also, of course, harm reduction and ways that we can look forward um, with the future of the Captagon trade and try and mitigate it as a global trade. Because as of now, it's primarily limited to the region, but we are starting to see ways that it is expanding beyond. And it, there is that chance that it could become a global international trade. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because if the Assad family agree to turn off the Captagon taps, so for example, the, the Saudis, the Emiratis pony up a few billion and say, take the money and stop uh, stop uh, sending Captagon our way. Um, how big is the risk that the family will simply turn around and start flooding Europe with Captagon? That's a great question. I think that right now, uh, especially with all of the pressure that uh, the Gulf is trying to put onto the regime to reduce their role in the Captagon trade to, and to reduce the presence of the Captagon trade in the region, there is quite a chance for Captagon to seep into other potential consumption markets. And Europe is one of them. For the past you know, few years, we've seen the regime and its allies using networks all over Europe and in Germany and Austria and Italy and Switzerland and creating shell companies, creating operations on the ground that would reroute Captagon back to Gulf destination markets. In terms of consumption inside of Europe, um, it's very hard to ascertain exactly how much demand there is. But it, it, it does seem to be that they're trying to create new demand markets in Europe and introduce Captagon as a new illicit substance on the market. Uh, you know, it's very possible that with the uptick in overland trafficking that we're seeing, um, that that will also help, you know, introduce Captagon into local markets. I also think that smugglers are going to really focus and hone in on, on Africa and some of the countries that they've introduced Captagon into, for example, Sudan, Libya, Morocco has also made some of its first seizures, Nigeria as well, and try and carve out new markets there. Uh, particularly as we are seeing militant um, use of Captagon uh, on the rise and Captagon's popularity in, in, in conflict-afflicted areas, uh, that definitely also, I would say, is, is drawing Captagon there. Uh, and then it's also very possible that we see Captagon seep into uh, countries in, in the Middle East that have traditionally been transit countries, but, you know, there is a rising you know, level of demand and consumption. For example, Iraq, I would say, is one of the most notable countries where it's been a transit country, but now we're starting to see a burgeoning uh, consumption market. Mm, so I'm going to leave the, the toughest question to the last, uh, Caroline. Captagon, it seems an intractable problem and... If it's ever going to be dealt with, it's going to be a protracted fight. So my question, the tough one, what are the ways forward, uh, Caroline? I would say that primarily we need greater communication over the Captagon trade. That is clear. Uh, there's not enough intelligence sharing. There's not enough interagency communication, even within countries. Uh, no one is talking to each other about this challenge and how to collaborate and how to share best practices. 
resources exist, but some governments either don't use them or, you know, don't know that they're there. And so because of this, there needs to be a greater coordinated regional and extra regional effort to combat this trade on both levels of accountability, but then also looking at both supply and demand. And so in our report last year, we we recommended that there be an international mechanism created, a framework that encourages greater dialogue, best practice sharing, and uh, discussions about accountability with the actors implicated. And this would be amongst transit and destination countries. Um, it would exclude countries and actors that are actively involved in the Captagon trade, for example, the Syrian regime. And what this would do is that, you know, it creates this kind of alternative track outside of Interpol, which has now started to include the, the regime, outside of normalization discussions, which is including the regime on counter-narcotics efforts. And this alternative mechanism creates a kind of a trust-based environment uh, where, you know, there is a greater conversation about how to effectively address Captagon from the strategic, operational, and tactical levels. And I think that that's just what is greatly needed as we need to get ahead of this trade as it continues to grow and as it continues to really become a, a heavyweight uh, geopolitical influence in the region. Now, I know that you and the Kramshah have a new paper coming out shortly. Uh, tell us where we can find it and um, when to look for it. Certainly. Uh, so it will be this week. We are aiming for May 25th, but it will be on the uh, the Syrian regime's narrative and how they've conducted seizures of Captagon, but also other illicit substances inside of Syria and regime held areas and the discrepancies between the data that has been put out and how we should analyze that to see how seriously they are taking the uh, Captagon trade. And, um, you know, a, a bit of a, a teaser, uh, they're, they're not taking it incredibly seriously, given the role of many regime aligned actors in, in the Captagon trade. And where are we going to be able to find it, Carolyn? Oh, yes, uh, you'll be able to find it at newlinesinstitute.org um, at our Captagon project. Excellent. Thanks again. I know we'll be talking about Captagon with you, but uh, and, and, and uh, thank you, too, for all the work that that you and Karam and others are doing on this story. It's a very big story. It needs to be really looked at very closely by lots of actors and lots of states. Thank you so much, Bill. I really appreciate that. You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was Caroline Rose. Caroline is director of the Strategic Blind Spots portfolio at New Lines Institute in Washington, D.C., you can find her articles, and as Caroline just mentioned, her and Karam Shah's latest Captagon report at newlinesinstitute.org. I hope you're enjoying the podcasts, which we bring you with no advertising and no sponsors. We are a truly independent source for analysis and commentary on the Middle East and North Africa. You can support our independent voice through a small donation. Details on how to do so at arabdigest.org. When you go to our website, you can also find out about our daily newsletter and how to get a free two-month trial. The newsletter features the very best of MENA analysts and commentators, contributors like Caroline. Check us out on ArabDigest.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading, essential listening. 
from independent sources.